Greetings, steampunk survivalists, and welcome back to the Steampunk Dollhouse Supplemental. Today, we will be covering Chapter 4 of A Steampunk's Guide to the Apocalypse, wherein we discuss the options and responsibilities when it comes to defending one's life and one's post-apocalyptic castle. Uh, Before we get into that, though, real quick, I just wanted to let you guys know that there is a festival coming up uh, here in the DFW area in November, uh, suitably called Steampunk November. And it is hosted at a private venue in the Mansfield area of the DFW Metroplex. Uh, It's an area that I actually grew up in. I spent time there as a child. Um, It's a nice little area. And it's going to be at the Amber Inn Academy of Arts. Um, I have a link for the Steampunk November website in the show notes. I have never been out there myself, so this will be my first trip out. I will be going on Saturday. November 11th. It actually starts on Friday, November 10th. Uh, it's, opens, it's open from 7 p.m. to midnight. And then Saturday, it's open from noon to midnight. And then the final day, Sunday the 12th, it'll be open from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. I will be out there. I will be uh, accompanied by Mr. Stocking, and I think Baby Stocking might go with us, but we're not sure yet. Um, from what I've been reading and hearing and seeing, it sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, there's live bands, there's belly dancing, there's burlesque, there's entertainment, there's going to be an afternoon tea and tea dueling, which sounds interesting. Uh, they have wine tastings and a whole lot of other stuff, tons of vendors. It sounds really cool. Um, the ticket prices vary from 20 to $40, depending on the length of your pass and the day that you're going and a whole bunch of other stuff. They do have camping available out there, camping spots as well. Uh, so check it out. Go to the steampunknovember.com website. Again, the link is in the show notes. Um, and just to clarify, I don't, I'm not getting paid for this. I just, I'm going to be out there. And I figure if any of you are in the general area, um, you might come and say hi. Believe me, you will know me when you see me. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to meeting all of you out at Steampunk November. Uh, Again, it's running from the 10th through the 12th, but I will be out there on Saturday the 11th. And I think that is all we have to discuss today. I want to try to keep it a little bit light. Um, So we will be right back with today's reading after a word from Audible. This week's Steampunk Dollhouse Supplemental is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash spdhpod. This week, in honor of the passing of Harry Dean Stanton, I'm recommending The Secret History of Twin Peaks by Mark Frost. And if you think you don't know who Harry Dean Stanton is, look him up. He's a wonderful, amazing character actor. And I think he was in almost everything over the course of his 91 years. Um, But most importantly for me, he played Carl Rod in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and in Twin Peaks The Return. Um, He was a wonderful character. So good. And his early story was actually explored at length in The Secret History of Twin Peaks. Um, And his his origin story, I guess, and his connection to Margaret Lanterman, the log lady. Uh, it was presented as, or the book is presented as an FBI dossier, and it tells the stories of the mysterious happenings in this idyllic Pacific Northwest town, and it does offer some explanations, um, however inconceivable they may be. So if you're like me and you've been obsessed with Twin Peaks for the last 25 years, I really do encourage you to get this book. It's um, a full cast recording. There will be many familiar voices, and it will help you to navigate um, 
this show, the, the Twin Peaks, The Return, uh, it will make it slightly less confusing. Um, it really is actually vital to Twin Peaks, The Return. So visit www.audibletrial.com slash SPDHpod to download The Secret History of Twin Peaks or any one of Audible's 180,000 titles. That's audibletrial.com slash SPDHpod. Chapter 4. Scoundrels and Defense Therefrom. Those who claim that the end times are no time for heroics are ignoble cowards. There will be moments that test your courage when you will be given the opportunity to help your fellows. And while you need not, and ought not, cast your lot with the gratuitous whole of humanity, if you shy from every conflict, then you shall have no friends to lend you aid. Those who would walk quietly past a mugging on the street, or bear mere silent witness to racist violence, will find themselves in utter, defenseless solitude in the new and chaotic world. We'll begin with weapons. Compound bow. A regular bow, long or short, is an excellent, time-proven companion to the hunter or warrior. But for our purposes, a traditional bow has two specific weak points. One, its utter lack of pulleys or other errata. Two, it lacks the let-off of a compound bow. For when a compound bow is drawn, upwards of 80% of the draw weight is relieved from the arm, which allows those of smaller stature to effectively aim the bow. While the construction of an expertly crafted compound bow is far too voluminous of a subject to cover adequately herein, we can offer a small amount of advice. The central riser of the bow is constructed of a completely rigid material, commonly aluminum. The limbs of the bow are constructed of composite materials, such as fiberglass or pressed and layered wood. The string can be made of thin, plastic-coated steel cable. Potentially, all of these materials are available in junk heaps, abandoned buildings, etc. Arguably, it is wisest to simply raid a sporting goods store. Breakdown Spear Spears are remarkably versatile and useful tools and weapons. Long spears can be quite effective in grouped combat or for hunting. Short spears are desired for personal defense. Here we present you with a design for a spear that may, in a matter of seconds, be converted from one to the other. The sling. A sling is a marvelously simple application of force. A well-trained slinger may throw a good-sized rock farther than the length of a sporting field. Slings may be constructed of many materials. One can build a sling from cordage and a scrap of leather, or a sling may be braided. Slings may be of various lengths, but one to two meters ought to serve as a basis from which to veer. When your intended target, be it squirrel or building, is farther than approximately 50 meters distant, then it is suggested that one launch missiles from the sling in an underhanded manner, much like a pitcher in the game of softball. Conversely, foes within 50 meters might be more accurately pummeled by utilizing an overhand or baseball approach. In either case, it is a waste of energy and accuracy to allow the sling more than 360 degrees of rotation. Staff sling. For those interested in launching half of a brick, then the staff sling is an appropriate tool. Note that the staff sling is not inherently more accurate than a traditional sling, nor does it offer greater range. No, its single, albeit excellent, selling point is its ability to throw a half of a brick. Trebuchet. If you wish to throw very heavy projectiles across very vast distances, you would do well to study the siege engine known to the world as the trebuchet. 
Although the range offered by most trebuchets, a massive sting staff, <laughs> massive staff sling, is slightly less than, say, a longbow. A longbow is incapable of launching oil drums filled with gasoline and wrapped with burning wicks. Since the lever of a trebuchet must be as light and strong as possible, consider the use of aluminum lampposts. Black powder. We do not aim to provide instruction in the creation of gunpowder nor any other explosive within this book or this broadcast. Let us merely say that the ability to create black powder, a relatively simple form of gunpowder, is well within the reach of the well-prepared steampunk. And black powder may be quite useful in the deployment of 19th century firearms, as well as for any blasting you may find yourself in need of accomplishing. On strategy. If you are concerned with your welfare, it is best to not run blindly into battle. You must, ask, you must act strategically, avoiding more conflicts than you enter. The Art of War. If you read only one book about the strategy of battle, then let it be Sun Tzu's ancient treatise, The Art of War. Although it refers specifically to the bygone wars of China, it is a classic that applies to nearly every conflict, be it interpersonal or international. Stealth. As electric light dies unmourned, the art of invisibility will rise in prominence once more. Although it is, of course, impossible to become technically invisible, it is often desirable to be effectively invisible, unseen. It is an important matter to consider the silhouette you cast. In dim light, it can be disguised in many ways, crouching or standing in front of objects being an excellent example. Further, the human stride is quite recognizable as a silhouette and ought to be disguised as well. Remember that black clothing is often darker at night than your non-black surroundings. If white is zero and 10 is black, the name for tones around seven. The patterns and colors of clothing ought to be broken apart as well as in camouflage. But perhaps the best way to become invisible is to hide in plain sight. Simply do not appear to be out of the ordinary. You can observe the actions, manners, and dress of your foes from afar, utilizing a spyglass, and then emulate them to walk unchallenged into their fortress. Training and Education One of the false promises that technology bears is that of idiot-proofing. Every martial tool, from the lowliest baseball bat to the mighty rifle and scope, requires training to use with efficiency. When possible, it is advisable to rely upon experts to aid you in your education. But when it is not, you must experiment on your own. Practice. Practice until you know your weapon and then practice longer. Practice until your sling, taken as an example, is as natural an extension of your arm as a glove might be. Educate yourselves and educate your friends. Educate the novices who join your camp and not just in matters of war. Let knowledge never be a hoarded commodity so that no person is irreplaceable in the community. Imagine the frustration if, for example, your only engineer, competently trained in the repair of your water catchment system, were to die in fierce battle. Morse code. Morse code has a large number of uses. It could be squeezed into handshake, wrapped under prison walls, or used over long distances by way of mirrors, or even appended to the end of broadcasts. Signaling may be accomplished by use of a mirror and a light source, traditionally the sun, but lamps or similar sources may be used in darker situations. Either the mirror itself is moved to flashlight, or more commonly, a hand or shutter is used to block the light momentarily, allowing a finer control. 
simple codes must be devised ahead of time, and while Morse code can be used, a basic two short flashes means that our foes are within the walls can be utilized as well. Semaphore flag signaling. Flags make great signals as well, as evidenced by their common usage to communicate across the waters between ships. Although one can plan simple phrases, such as attack and retreat, there is an alphabetical system already prepared called semaphore. Note that the same alphabet has, has historically been communicated between towers with mechanical hands, allowing the range of communication to be significantly vaster. Ciphers. The creation of a cipher is an enjoyable hobby and it is one that may become crucial to your defense. As handwritten notes will likely be a form of communication that you rely heavily upon, it will suit your needs to send these notes in cipher. Caesar cipher. The Caesar cipher is an example of an easily broken code. However, if your enemies are moronic or simply unlikely to take the time necessitated to break your code, then it can be quite effective. Each letter is simply adjusted up the alphabet by a certain number of places. For example, a Caesar cipher 10 would replace the letter A with the letter K, the letter B with the letter L, etc. One-time pads. One-time pads are perfect ciphers that cannot be broken by any conventional means. What's more, they are relatively simple to use. Each person who will receive or send messages is given an identical copy of the one-time pad. A string of random numbers. Each letter in the message to be coded is translated into a number. A becomes 1, B becomes 2, etc., until Z becomes 26. The first number of the message is added to the number that the first letter on the one-time pad corresponds to, and so on, until the whole of the message is thereby encoded. Any number generated that is larger than 26 has 26 subtracted from it. Messages thus generated can only be deciphered if your enemy acquires the one-time pad, and it is standard practice to burn said pad after use. Beset by many foes. It is important to gather a thorough understanding of all the many antagonists you are likely to find and find yourself in contests with. The following are but a few broad categories that many of your potential assailants may fall within. Take note that not every individual within these groups will present a threat to your survival, of course. Military. The people contained within this category are those who spend a majority of their energy preparing for and engaging in conflict. Owing to this training and experience, those within military ranks present both the greatest threat and potential from a defense-oriented point of view. Note that this category may encompass the paramilitary, such as militia members, in addition to the more traditionally uniformed people. Open engagement with any well-structured army is ill-advised, unless it must transpire out of survival or ideological necessity. If war is required, then it must be undertaken with an understanding of guerrilla tactics. The modern fighting force grows increasingly dependent upon high technology, from laser rangefinders to wireless communications, from radar to airstrikes, and it is this reliance that will form the majority of a steampunk's advantage should any conflict arise. As their massive infrastructure begins to fragment and decay, these modern toys will become increasingly unreliable, and like any hierarchical institution, it may be slow to adapt. May chaos be your ally. Law enforcement. Our second category contains those who study the maintenance of law and the rule of property. These people, while acquainted with violence, are not quite as well suited to open conflict. Rather, they are more focused on the sociological effects they may have upon a population. 
The police are remarkably dangerous in that they are uniquely adapted to enacting violence upon the people of their own nations. It is as certain that many officers will find themselves at odds with our survival as it is that some officers will use their training to best serve our needs. One time-wanted strategy for dealing with police is to deflect their anger onto a third party, preferably one most vile. It is often useful to let constables believe that you agree with them and respect their authority. Most police are trained in unarmed combat, focusing on painful holds, the use of handguns, and many disabling weapons such as tasers and beanbag rifles. They are trained to surreptitiously interrogate, and they are trained to determine lies. Increasingly in many countries, police are being trained in military maneuvers, group tactics, and the door-to-door actions required to maintain a police state. Most police, however, are not trained to act independently of their superiors, and like any centralized force, a breakdown in communication may paralyze them. Warlords and their minions. While it would be comfortable to predict that the vast majority of people will open their arms and hearts with the coming of the apocalypse, casting their differences and authoritarian ambitions to the side, it is likely that many people will instead vie for political power. Whether benign or vile, there will likely be many such competing voices. Warlords and their minions may arise from any number of fields, particularly those involving leadership. Expect politicians, police, gang leaders, and business people to step forward, offering many different political positions. Their minions will come from every sector of society, and expect those without military training to be versed in such matters with all conceivable haste. Each individual faction will need to be considered for their own merits and drawbacks, and each warlord will need to be confronted in a different manner. What are their goals? What are their motivations? Of whom does their force consist? What manner of weaponry will they bring to bear? Must they be confronted at all? All of these questions must be considered. And finally, the desperate. Representing the least powerful element on any individual basis of the post-apocalyptic world, the desperate are those roving gains of a carnivorous, aimless, needy we see depicted so often in post-apocalyptic fiction. The desperate, while not to be underestimated, need not be so ravenously demonized. It is quite likely that the majority of people will indeed find themselves formed into new, miniature societies and will not be roaming the countryside as some strange, vast, bovine sea. The simplest solution for dealing with the desperate is nourishment, if supplies allow. You never know what skills a person may offer to your survival, and sharing will be a survivalist trait shortly enough. Unfortunately, it is possible that the underfed masses might overwhelm a small steampunk compound, and it would become necessary to defend oneself against them. In this case, try to keep crowd control tactics firmly in mind. Untrained soldiers act very much as a brainless herd. Target any apparent leaders and encourage a rout. Once running, a crowd is very likely to continue to flee. As a, prote- as a preventative measure, avoid flaunting any valuables or resources at all. Never draw attention to your wealth. If you like what we've done here, please don't forget to subscribe, and please do remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, even if you don't use iTunes to listen, you can still rate and review as long as you have an iTunes account. And I know I say this all the time, and you may not believe me, but your opinion actually does matter, and it does have an impact on how many can people how many people can find us. Um, so if you don't feel like writing out a review, at least give me a star rating. It's just a click, and it would really, really be appreciated. And with that, we're done. We'll see you in a week for Beyond the South Sea, or... 
Why Decolonial Determination is Steampunk as Shit, with the anthology The Sea is Ours, Tales from Steampunk Southeast Asia, edited by Jamie Goh and Joyce Chung. Guide to the Apocalypse was written by Margaret Kiljoy and narrated by Elizabeth Hedrick and is licensed by Ms. Kiljoy under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 3.0 Unported. You can find more information about the passions and projects of Margaret Kiljoy at birdsbeforethestorm.net. If you'd like to delve deeper into the mind of Ms. Kiljoy, you can check out her new book, The Lamb Will Slaughter the Lion, which pits utopian anarchists against rogue demon deer in this drop-kick-in-the-mouth punk fantasy that Alan Moore calls scary and energetic. It's available now at Amazon.com or your chosen independent bookseller. Additional episode writing by Elizabeth Hedrick. Produced by Elizabeth Hedrick and Matt Davis. The background music in this episode was Steampunk by Bua Kanja, which can be found at freemusicarchive.org. For more information about the text and music used in today's episode, please see the show notes or visit our website at spdhpod.com. Please do keep in mind that any tips, hints, how-tos, or advice given in these supplemental episodes is for entertainment only. Many of these activities could be dangerous and or illegal. And finally, we thank you for tuning in. I'll keep reading your rights for as long as you keep listening. Blue Stocking out. 29, 28, 33, 32, 0. 28, 23, 0, 21, 25, 36, 28, 23, 0, 18, 28, 30, 29, 17, 0.